Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? We got a nice energizing worship set. Did you get energized by the weather yesterday? Good, just in time for more snow. Yay. Anyway, thank you. Welcome for being, uh, welcome to Hill City. My name is Nicole Eunice. I'm super glad to be here this morning and to continue our series. We've been in the book of Ephesians. So if you're new here, we are walking through a book of the Bible together. And sometimes we like to do that particularly because it helps us not avoid things that we might skip over, skim over, gloss over just in our own kind of quest to figure out what life is about. And we know that, that God is the one who's given us relevant teaching for our life. And so the way we engage it, I hope the way that we get to engage it today, you'll find relevant to your life, useful to your life, but maybe, maybe in like a little bit of a deeper way than you might expect. Um, that's kind of what happened for me as I began to prepare today's message. So we're going to be in Ephesians 4. And just a little bit of backstory, just in case you haven't been here or you want um, to remember what we've been doing. Remember, Ephesians, we're calling this series First Love because in the last book of the Bible, we hear this like message back to the church at Ephesus that's like, you forgot your first love. Like you're sticking with your faith, but you forgot your first love. And so we went to the letter of Ephesians to see what the apostle Paul who wrote the letter was really saying to this early church about what it means to be made new in Christ, to be following Jesus. And we talked about it last week, this idea of the new self and the old self. And we're kind of continuing in that, like what does this really mean to be in the new self. And so we've got like a really straightforward passage this morning that I want us to take a look at that I think we might find some interesting connections for our life even this week. So this is about what it looks like to live into that new self. So we're in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. Yes, it's working. Okay, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Okay, so I can I be honest with you guys? So when I was assigned this passage, I was like, I guess I'll just read it and be like, good talk, guys. It's like kindergarten level right here. Like this is like what we think it means to be a good person. Like on some level, we read this and we're like, yeah, I mean, obviously don't lie to your neighbor. Obviously it's like not good to be angry. Obviously, you know, some of it just feels like a really obvious set of behaviors to check off. And in a lot of ways, because we're, we're kind of raised in this like be good culture, it doesn't really feel any different than what we already know to be true. It's like, okay, like I can put those on a list that's a very aspirational set of things. Yeah, like brawling, I get it. Like malice, probably not. Like that's a good, I get this, I get the spirit of this, right? Like it makes sense. And so I was looking at it more closely and I was like, you know, what, what's going on here though? Because it can't just be a list of behaviors. Like there's more going on than this. And so I looked back at where we kind of landed when we left off 
This is the couple of verses right before this, okay? So this is what John was teaching last week. Right before we get into this list of behaviors, look at what it says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new, where? In the attitude of your mind, and to put on this new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I was like, this, it, it just can't be, it's never, the Bible's never about a set of behaviors. It's never about checking off a list of things that you can master. We just, we know that. Because anything that we can master, anything that we can check off of a list, it doesn't draw us closer to God. It makes us move more independently than God. Like, I, I don't need God if I just have a list of things that I can check off. Like, that, that's not how it works. So there's got to be more there. And so I looked at the passage again, and I was like, okay, it's, being, it's like talking about being made new. And then I went back, and I was like, wait a second. Like, what's connected here? Like, take a look at this. Every single one of these behaviors has something connected to it. Put off falsehood, speak truthfully. Why? For we're all members of one body. Don't be angry. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Why? so that you don't give the devil a foothold. It goes on, anyone who's stealing shouldn't do that. You need to work, you need to be useful, but why? So that you can have something to share with those in need. Don't be unwholesome in your talk, don't let it come out of your mouth, but do stuff that's helpful for building others up, why? So it can benefit those who listen. And then finally, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, get rid of all these things, be kind and compassionate, yeah? And why, because you don't wanna grieve the Holy Spirit. So in the midst of these behaviors, which we would all say, yes, if we were in any environment, you know, if it was a church environment or not, whether it was a secular environment or a church environment, we would all agree that those things are good things. But because we're being made new in the attitude of our minds, the motivation, the purpose behind it is different. You see, we can do stuff and we can look like we're doing the same things, but the way we're doing it, the value with which we are aspiring to can be very, very different. So this is kind of my thought for today based on that. Committing to what we value determines what will change. Committing to what we value determines what we change. Because here's the thing about change, it's actually really hard to change. It's really, really hard to do something different. It's easy to change a behavior even for a brief amount of time. It usually doesn't last. It's much different to change what we value. So um, I spend like, way too much time in Starbucks just as a general rule. Like I'm very, very familiar. I could like probably write an Instagram and like rate Starbucks experiences all around the country. So I wanna tell you a tale of two Starbucks as a way to describe this. So I'm in a Starbucks this morning, and I, I get to the Starbucks, and I'm waiting for my, my drink, and I am preaching on anger, so I'm not going to be impatient, even though it has, in fact, been 11 and a half minutes, and they definitely told me on the app it was going to be seven to eight minutes. And so I'm standing there, and I'm like, this is cool, this is fine, and then a girl in front of me has a lot of drinks, and so she says to the barista, can I have a drink carrier? And there's a drink carrier on the other side of the counter, like a set of them, but she was like, I didn't feel like I should reach over, you know, COVID, and also that's where the baristas work. So she didn't go behind the thing. So the girl takes the stack of drink carriers, and this is the girl standing here waiting, for the, waiting with her four drinks, and she goes like this. She walks past her, and she puts it down on the edge of the counter and just keeps going. She, she doesn't give her a drink carrier, she just puts it where she can reach him. She still did her job, right? She did her job the person is gonna get the drink carrier. Starbucks B, 
couple weeks ago, I'm up in a Starbucks, and I'm there, and I remember, the guy's name is Daniel. His name was Daniel. The first thing he did was compliment me on my drink order. He was like, ooh, good choice. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, Daniel, I think so too, you know? And it's a little bit of a high maintenance order, so you feel a little bit bad, but he was like, excellent way that you really crafted this order, you know? And so then he's like, hey, what do you have going on this week? Where are you headed? I'm like, yeah, I gotta head up 95. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, that's not so bad. He's so happy, he's so full of joy. He's like, hey, and then at the end, he's like, do you normally come to the Starbucks? I was like, you know what, Daniel, I don't. He goes, you should come here more often. And I was thinking, I actually am gonna drive out of the way to come to this Starbucks because Daniel, and if you're here, Daniel, you are awesome. And I see Jesus in you. Like I just, it was this, but you know what? Daniel and the girl this morning were both doing their job. They actually did their job the same way but what was in it, the orientation of it, the value of it. Daniel clearly has a value that he's aspiring to as a barista that has not that much to do with his work, but it does. It actually does matter. It is the way that he does his work. It is the way that he lives his life. And so we can read this list of things and think like, oh yeah, I mean, that's a good like, list of behaviors to aspire to. Or we can ask ourselves, what values are here? that God is calling us to as a people. Because values is actually what changes you. We all act on our values. In fact, when we get to anger, do you know what anger is? Anger is someone coming against what you value. We all act from values. And so part of what we can do together as a body of believers, as people who are seeking God together, is say, wait a second, like what, are, what am I valuing? What's really important when it comes to the way that I live my life? So I've got three this morning that I want us to talk about that I think come out of this passage, okay? The first one is a connection to the body. A connection to the greater body. The body of Christ, the body of humanity, the body of believers, this idea that, again, we teach our children, right? But maybe we all need a reminder that more valuable than my connection to myself and my own values is actually a connection to the greater body. We see it over and over again, right, in this passage, for we are all members of one body, but it comes up over and over again because when it talks about not use, letting unwholesome talk out of your mouth, it's so it will benefit those who listen, right? And when it talks about doing useful work and not stealing, it's actually talking about the idea so you can build up something so that you can help other people. All of those good behaviors are connected to a higher purpose. And that higher purpose is a general sense of connection to the body of Christ. Can I tell you something? I hate putting a grocery cart away. I just do. Like I'm a girl who's on the run. I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm always late everywhere I'm going. But like the connection to say, if I leave the grocery cart though next to my car, which I have done, and if you have seen me do it, I am sorry, okay? But if I've done that, I'm making somebody else do work because I'm not doing it, because I'm connected to other people. We try to teach our kids this, right? I remember just in the very recent history, it was a beautiful moment in a parent's life. I came down the stairs, I was getting ready to leave to go do something, and I opened the dishwasher and it was empty. <laughs> I immediately thought to myself, surely Dave, my husband, emptied the dishwasher, as he does almost every single morning, but he hadn't. It had worked, guys. A kid had emptied the dishwasher <laughs> and had not been asked. And I was, yeah, I know. Praise, praise, I know. But listen, we all know that, right? Because I'm the girl who leaves the grocery cart next to my car. Like, it's not like it's just about my kids. It's about a general sense as I move through the world that like my actions are connected to other people. 
And, and the way that I live and the way that I show up at the Starbucks counter and the way that I show up in my home and at my workplace, it's like deeply connected to the body. And so when I think about what I care about and who I wanna become and who you are becoming, sure, we can just aspire to be good for good's sake. We can aspire to read this list and be like, yeah, of course, everybody should do those things. Or we can say, how am I learning what it looks like to be connected to the greater body? How are my resources in my life, the way I use my time, the way I use my money, that I'm actually thinking like, this is deeply connected to a force for good or for destruction in the world, in these smallest ways. Now, if we, if we think like that, and we're like overly consumed with that on our own, then you're gonna live in a very anxious mentality. You're just gonna always, all the time, be like, I've gotta do everything right, I've gotta be perfect. That is not the message at all, particularly when we look at the other values here. But the idea of making that shift in our heart from the world that is a self-centered world, to a world that is an others-centered world, where we actually believe what it says in Ephesians 4, verse 1, consider yourselves worthy of the calling you've received. Like God's inviting us into a bigger life, a more sacrificial life, with a sense of like, oh my gosh, I'm responsible in my community. Like I'm responsible to my neighbor. And the way that I talk, and the way that I act, and the way that I emote, actually has a connection to the body. You see, that's a totally different value. And that's a value that you grow into as you're being made new in the attitude of your mind. Make sense? Okay. All right, next one. We're gonna spend a little bit of time on this one. Next one is awareness of the enemy. And you might think like, what? What does that mean? I, I think we like to live in a world where this is not true. But when you look back at the passage, look at what's connected here. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're staying angry. Why? So that you don't give the devil a foothold. It's not why so that you can be a nice person. It's a very different connection to a higher value. When we were in college, Dave and I took a rock climbing class, which meant that we climbed on the, like the fake rock walls for a long time, and then you feel really confident in yourself because you climb on fake rock walls. And then you go climb a real rock wall. And when you first climb a real rock wall, I think it was about 150 feet, and our instructor very casually and nonchalantly mentioned that when you're actually held on to a 150-foot rope, it has 15 feet of give in it, which means if you slip off of the rock face, you will fall 15 feet before slamming into the rock face. You will not fall to your death, but you certainly will not be held up like you are on those like fake rock walls. And one of the big things in rock climbing is understanding your holds, right? Like your hand holds and your foot holds. And when you actually are in danger, like when you're on an actual rock wall, there's nothing you want more than a huge foothold because you could put all your weight on it and it actually propels you forward. It's not like a little slippery grasp like you get with one finger or two fingers or three fingers. And the word foothold is used to describe what happens when our anger is out of control. That what happens when our anger is out of control is that the enemy is actually able to put a foothold into our character and onto our character. It doesn't mean the enemy goes into you, it just means he's trapped you in a place that works for his purposes. Because what the enemy is about is dividing and destroying. And unchecked anger is divisive and destructive. When we don't know how to treat our anger, when we don't know how to relate to our anger, when we don't know where it should lead us, then we've given the enemy a foothold. 
So the value is not, don't be angry. The value is, are you aware of how powerfully the enemy can work in your anger? And what if we all became a little bit more aware of that? Okay, so we're gonna have just a little counseling session, so stick with me for a second. We're gonna talk about anger. I love this quote from Brene Brown. This is from Atlas of the Heart, her new book. Anger is a powerful catalyst, but a life-sucking companion. What that means is that God created us with the emotion of anger and God himself expresses, he sort of personifies his anger in scripture. So we know that anger itself is not the sin. Anger is a powerful catalyst. And that catalyst of anger is it's a warning light in our soul that something needs to be dealt with. So we can use it that way. But when anger goes from being a warning light to our soul that we can deal with to a companion in our life, and it is not dealt with, and the sun goes up and the sun goes down over and over again, and we continue to harbor and live with that anger, then it becomes a life-sucking companion. Now, Brene Brown is not a pastor. However, she is using incredible language that describes what it looks like when the enemy gets a foothold. Because the enemy's desire is to suck the life out of you. The old self sucks the life out of us. That's why we talk about the old self is perishing. The old self is death. It may feel like it's good. It may feel like it leads to something, but where it's ultimately leading is to death. Only the new self and new life has actual life in it. And so I find this quote very, very accurate to the experience of anger, but so many of us have been taught such weird things around anger that I just wanna go ahead and like lay out how anger can be a good thing in your life and a helpful thing, and how it can be a destructive thing, and how can we tell the difference, okay? So this is very exciting, guys. I spent about 14 hours making boxes for you that don't fit on this screen. So now you're going to see a very, very bad version of a set of boxes and a graph, okay? So I'm gonna get you guys to follow along with me. So here's my box. Hey, that wasn't so bad, okay. So we're gonna talk about ways we rage, okay? So there's kind of two sides of this graph. There's anger, that's unrighteous, and there's anger that's righteous, okay? And then there's action that comes from anger. Anger always needs a vent. Anger will always express itself. So there's gonna be an action that comes with anger, and that action can be productive action, or it can be unproductive action, okay? So we're gonna walk through what each of these would look like. So let's start with unrighteous and righteous anger. Here's a very basic def definition. There's two things we get angry about. We get angry when someone comes against our values, and we get angry when something's wrong in the world. That's what anger is, okay? So when I was standing at the Starbucks counter this morning and they told me it would be seven to eight minutes and it was 11 and a half minutes, what was that coming against? It was coming against my selfish pride about my time. And I'm feeling a little frustrated, right? So there's a lot of anger that's unrighteous anger. There's a lot of anger that comes from the things that I value. That's one of the ways we even learn what we value is by what we get angry about, what we value and what we think is important in the world. Now there's also the kind of anger that's righteous that actually comes out of your God-given, you're an image bearer of God, God has put his nature inside of you, which means that when you are walking with God, and even when you're not walking with God, we have a moral compass in us as human beings and we can point to something and say, that is not right. That is not good and that is not right and we're surrounded by all kinds of things to be angry about that are actually the righteous kind of anger because we see people being hurt, people being violated, 
vulnerable people t- being taken advantage of, all number of things, right? So that's where that comes from. So let's say we have, let's just start with the basic one. We have unrighteous and unproductive anger. I have unrighteous anger. I might not know that's what it is, but it's, not, it's about something I value. Someone's coming against my value, and I snap. I'm sharp with my words. What happens? Whatever happens next will be destructive. Unrighteous, unproductive anger is destructive. Now, you might say to me, but Nicole, I don't get mad. I'm like, well, you do. You might not be in touch with it. You might not realize that's what it is. And generally, people who think that they don't go get mad have turned their anger inward, which is destructive to our own souls. So now I'm hiding, I'm covering, I'm guarded, or I'm resentful, or I'm passive, or I'm scared. Something's happening, and that itself is also destructive. It may not look like somebody who blows up, but it still is actually destructive. Unrighteous, unproductive anger is Destructive. Now, how does unrighteous anger become productive? Because it can. It says in the passage, in your anger, do not sin. In Psalm 4, 4, which is what is quoted actually here, it's translated slightly differently. And the slightly different way that it's uh, translated is be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Meaning you're gonna get angry, but what are you gonna do with it, right? So if I have unrighteous anger but I want it to be productive, it's going to always, always lead, sorry, that's such such terrible handwriting. There we go, repentance. Can you read that? Yeah. It's gonna lead to repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind connected to action. So remember where we started? Be, Be renewed in the attitude of your mind. Anger can be a catalyst for us to deal with our sin. And it's for us to, or to deal with our need. If I have anger that's unrighteous and I'm willing to look at it, to face it, to ask the question perhaps before I go to bed or in my morning devotions, why was I so irritated? Because I had to stand at Starbucks for three minutes. If I actually ask the spirit of God to come with me and be with me and reveal to me what's happening, then I have an opportunity to repent and have my mind changed and actually grow into those other values. So many times with anger, and I just grabbed this right out of Brene Brown's book, just so you know. Behind this, this is just an easy counseling tool that people use all the time. All the stuff that can be behind anger. Every single thing that can be behind anger. So you may be, like me, frustrated in traffic, but in reality, you have so much anxiety about something happening with one of your kids and you're just revving so high under the surface that you gotta have an outlet for that, for that revving going on inside of you. You see, our God doesn't give us behavior modification. Like, he doesn't give us kindergarten sets of rules to say, hey, go figure this out. He's actually inviting us always into a deeper place of relationship with him. And so that's what can happen. That's how your unrighteous anger can actually become productive. And if you hear nothing else, I would love for you to just hear that. The next time you are fired up, whatever that looks like for you, some of you look completely at peace when you're fired up, and I, you're, you're amazing to me, and I, I love you. Some of you wear it on your face like I do, and it's like, mm-hmm, I can see how you felt about that Starbucks moment this morning. You know, whatever that thing is, if, it would just, if you would allow it to bring you into the presence of God and be like, what's going on with me? And sometimes, I don't think it's on here, yeah, because she's nice and and doesn't get this part, but like sometimes it's pride though, y'all. It's just pride. 
It's just me saying, well, this is the way I want things to go. I like it when things go this way. That's a self-centered orientation. So we're being invited into that other-centered orientation. Okay, back to our chart. What about unproductive anger? It's righteous, though. It's righteous. It's like you're, something's wrong with the world. I'm mad about something in the world. I'm mad about the way this thing is turning out or this thing in my community or whatever. That's a good feeling. That's a good thing that can be used by God. But when it's unproductive, it actually makes us foolish, okay? Fools, foolishness in scripture is all about the wisdom to know when is the right time to act. When is the right time to use words? When is the right time to be patient? And if we have righteous anger about something, but we don't know how to place it, it can be an unproductive experience, an unproductive feeling. One of the things that I think that a righteous anger not dealt with leads to more than anything else, especially right now in our world, is like apathy and cynicism. It's like what I actually am is angry about the world. Like I'm angry that there is slavery in our world. I hate that when I look at like a piece of clothing, I feel 90% sure that someone somewhere along the way has been violated or oppressed to make this jacket, and here I am wearing it, and I don't know what to do about that. You know what I mean? Like, we have that going on, and if we don't deal with it, then it becomes just this like malaise, cynicism, apathy, name the word, frustration at the world, resentment, or we kind of tribalize, and we're like, I'm only gonna be with people who think like I do. And that's going to make me feel better. And those are, those are foolish ways to move through the world. It's not what God's calling us to. Finally, though, there's righteous anger that can be productive. And that, my friends, is actual justice. Righteous anger used productively is justice. It's the biblical form of justice. It's not just justice for justice sake. It's actually because something's happened and I can be a powerful force for good. I'm going to give you a, a big example but we can see this in small examples in our life too. A big example is in 1990, Carrie Leitner was walking, she's 13 years old, walking to a church carnival, hit by a hit and run driver, immediately killed, hit out of her shoes, literally blew out of her shoes, died. It was a drunk driver. And her mom, Candy, out of her grief, didn't just hold on to that grief, but she actually got together with some other grieving mothers about the lax laws that allowed for drunk driving. And they formed a coalition called Mothers Against Drug Driving. You've probably heard of it, Mad, if you're a little older. It was, it's considered the most successful grassroots organization that has ever like, taken place in the US. Laws were changed, but not just laws. Laws weren't just changed. You know what was changed? Social norms. It's, you know, it's shameful to drive drunk. Like it's, it's an actual change in our entire culture that came out of one woman's grief out of her own righteous anger, became a productive force for good. You see, we should listen to our anger, we wanna understand our anger, and we wanna lean into our anger, but we wanna be careful with our anger. Because if we don't deal with it, if we don't relate to it, if we don't take it to the Lord, then it can become a foothold for the enemy. And one of our values in our new self is to be aware of the enemy that wants to work in divisive and destructive ways in our lives, in our relationships, in our neighborhood. I mean, you don't have to go further than your next door app to know that the enemy will get a foothold in the way we love our neighbor, amen? <laughs> Sometimes I just wanna be like, can't we all just get along? You know, like it's just a lot. So we can deal with our anger and this is a good start. This is a good start. Sometimes we've got anger that comes out of a lot of pain 
And I don't wanna minimize that at all. I'm not here to shame you for being angry. Some of us haven't even realized we are angry. But I'm here to invite you into a deeper relationship with God because that's what it looks like to be made new. It is the heart of the gospel is forgiveness for ourselves and for others. And a source of great anger is often lack of forgiveness for ourselves and for others. So it can be a deep invitation to a new place with God. Okay, I love this, 1 Kings 3. Just wanted to show you guys this little Old Testament callback. This is King Solomon. And when King Solomon went to God, he prayed and asked for a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who could do this? Who can govern? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. And he said, since you have not, you have asked for this and not for long life, not for wealth for yourself. You haven't asked for the death of your enemies, but you've asked for discernment in administering justice. I'll do what you've asked. You see, there is a set of values right there that's being represented. It's not just about what's good. It's about this idea that King Solomon knew that it was more important to be discerning than to have a self-centered life, yeah? Okay, so there we go. That's anger. That's our third one. This is our awareness of the enemy. And finally, we're just going to do this one quickly, but they don't go together if you don't talk about this one. And this final one is this idea that we have a value in our life in the new self in having a friendship with the Spirit of God. Very, very interesting that in the passage... It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's a funny phrase. And this is the place in scripture where we know that the Holy Spirit embodies a personality. Like the Holy Spirit is is given to us as a person we can relate to. Not as this disembodied, faraway thing. Also not as a genie that we can summon but as an actual um, a personality that takes on the qualities of a person. Let me just give you a quick proof text on what I mean by that. Okay, here's a couple of them. First of all, the Holy Spirit, if you wanna make a quick note and you wanna know what this is, the Holy Spirit has a mind, the mind of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a will. He's able to will and work in people's lives. The Holy Spirit speaks. It's one of my favorite ones. Do you know when the Holy Spirit's moving in Scripture, it's always very specifically. It's a very specific kind of moving with specific instruction and interaction. The Holy Spirit speaks into our life. It says the Holy Spirit loves. And finally, that the Holy Spirit helps and the Holy Spirit himself prays for us. See, we have access to friendship with the Spirit. We don't just have like a list of rules that we need to follow. You gotta go out there on your own and make it work, get it good, make it, be a good person today. It's like, no, actually, we're given this amazing gift in the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit himself, it says that like when we're living out of accord with the new self, what did it say the Holy Spirit was? What, did it say the Holy Spirit was angry at you when you're living out of accord? No. Was the Holy Spirit condemning you? Was the Holy Spirit ashamed of you? No, it says the Holy Spirit's grieved when we're living out of accord with the new spirit. When are we grieved? We're grieved when we love someone and we know that the way they're living is not the best way for their life. We're grieved when we love someone and they're making choices that lead to destruction. And it says that don't grieve the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit loves you. And the Holy Spirit has a will and speaks and loves and prays for you. 
and that we get to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So the next time that you're angry, the next time that you feel self-centered, the next time you feel your old self rising up and sort of taking control, the next time you feel fearful or anxious, you can remember, wait a second, the value of our faith is that we have friendship with the Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit is with us and intercedes for us and loves us. The Holy Spirit's grieved when we make bad choices because the Holy Spirit knows that it won't be good for our flourishing and for our life. And we actually have a guide in this world and that's a beautiful, beautiful gift. So as we wrap up today, I just wanna give us a minute to think. You kinda had those three values, right? Like what is it like to, to work for the common good, to believe that there's a higher value than my self-orientation? And what's it like to have an awareness of the enemy, particularly how the enemy wants to get a foothold in my anger and in my relationships, particularly when there's anger? And then the final one is this invitation. What is it like to have a friendship with the Spirit? So I wanna just invite you to just stop for a minute and say, where, where am I now? Where am I in this? Because you know what actually breathes life into our new self? You will not want to do these values without the Spirit of God actually awakening you to want them. So if you feel a little apathetic, you feel a little like, eh, you could start by saying, Spirit of God, would you just like breathe life into me to care about what you care about and to live like you want me to live? That might be a good start. So let me give you a minute to think and then I'll close this in prayer. And so, Father in heaven, we, we know that the mystery of your, of your Trinitarian love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is a mystery to us. But we also know it represents this perfect form of love and community. And that through your spirit, we're invited into that. That this isn't just about us being good people. It's about being whole new selves, just new, a new self that moves through this world, being made new in the attitude of our minds, being made new in our sensitivity, to the spirit of God, that you're moving in our life, that you're working in our life, that you speak into our life, that you love us, that you invite us to these deeper, richer places of action and with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends, with our community, and with this world. So God, would you give us a vision for a bigger sense of how deeply these values are connected to our everyday actions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.